Welcome to Grit Nation. I'm Joe Cadwell, the host of the show. And on today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Waldo Waldman, a former Air Force Lieutenant Colonel who is now a highly sought after motivational speaker and executive coach. He's also the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Never Fly Solo. Known to tens of thousands of people who have attended his leadership seminars as the wingman, Waldo's unique and powerful presentation style was honed razor sharp during his time as an F-16 fighter pilot. We'll open today's conversation by learning the dynamics of teamwork and why it's so important to have people that you can count on to help get through the tough jobs. Whether that's flying fighter jets in combat, closing big business deals, or racing to complete a construction project on time. Next, we'll hear how a close call while scuba diving nearly ended Waldo's career after triggering a phobia of confined spaces that he didn't even know he had. We'll then learn what steps he took to master his fear so he could continue to follow his passion for flying jets. We'll then discuss the importance of cultivating strong, long-lasting relationships built on mutual trust and respect so that you always have wingmen by your side when life gets turbulent. And we'll wrap up our conversation as we discuss Waldo's transition from the military to professional coach and speaker and why he is so passionate about helping others reach their fullest potential. After the episode, be sure to check out the show notes for more information about Waldo Wingman Waldman and how you can get a free copy of his best-selling book, Never Fly Solo. And now on to the show. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Waldo Waldman, welcome to Grit Nation. Great to be here, Joe. Well, thank you so much for taking your time, Waldo, to be on my show today. I'm really excited to uh, to have you on, to hear your message. I know my listeners are just going to get a kick out of uh, what you have to say. But before we get into what you have to say, can you give us a, a brief narrative of who you are and where you came from and why you do what you do? So, uh, and thanks for being on the, uh, you know, bringing me on here. You've had some of my buddies uh, on in the past. Uh, DJ Vanis is a, is, a, is a good friend of mine, superhuman being. And, and I love how you're, uh, you, you know, leverage your relationships to bring on interesting guests. So I'm, I'm currently a leadership speaker and executive coach. I work mostly with sales organizations all across the industries, but I focus a lot on the construction and trades industry, you know, manufacturing, uh, folks where there's supply chain, safety, uh, logistics, a, a lot of variables that go into executing a mission. And uh, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. Uh, I, my background is as a combat decorated fighter pilot. I've flown in Iraq and Serbia, 65 combat missions. Uh, but then when I left that, after getting shot out a couple, shot out a couple of times in some garden spots, I, I went to business school and then was in uh, sales on the technical side, software, technical applications, distributed learning. And then I went into merger and acquisition consulting, high-end high uh, M&A. And, uh, and then wean my way into speaking. And so that's uh, kind of a big, broad brushstroke of what I do. And, and I wrote a New York Times bestseller called Never Fly Solo, which is about collaboration and trust and realizing that survivors uh, survive on their own, but you win together. That's fantastic. And I understand you've also been inducted into the Hall of Fame for keynote speakers. I got inducted after 10 years, uh, which is one of the 
fastest in the, in the, in the industry in the National Speakers Association, which is a byproduct of a lot of folks helping me and my relentless pursuit of perfection. You know, you're only as good as your last speech. So I'm always getting better. And, uh, but uh, always being humble because there's a lot of great coaches and speakers and, and leaders out there. There are a lot of great uh, coaches and speakers out there, but I tell you, I don't know if it's because I have a prior military background and you you have the the vernacular, the speech patterns of maybe something that I uh, am closely aligned with, but your style and uh, and ability to convey information is is really tight, and I really appreciate it, and I've really enjoyed uh, watching you know your videos and and uh, reading your um, you know on your on your website and the book uh, Never Fly Solo, fantastic book. And um, how did you come about writing that book? And what does it mean to never fly solo, Waldo? So when you look at the concept of grit, you, what, you, what you kind of focus on, your ability to kind of stay resilient, stay in the aircraft, as I always say, not quit, you know, be willing to have your knees skinned and suffer through a little bit of the personal development and growth that's necessary to evolve in life and business and wherever you're in. I, I learned a lot of that in the military, uh, in particular, you know, flying F-16s isn't easy. Uh, it's very, very competitive. You need thick skin. You need to be have a relentless per- pursuit of, of, of perfection and growth because the technologies constantly change. You've got high standards, deployments, a lot of fear. Uh, you know, flying in combat is a very, very scary thing. Uh, and any veteran uh, would understand that. But when I look back on my success, and the things that have allowed me to evolve, not just as a fighter pilot, but as a speaker, as a business person, as a father and husband. It's that I've always had great men and women in my life who I can go to for help, who had my back, who pushed me, who challenged me, who saw the best in me, who uh, gave me the uh, feedback that I may not have wanted to hear, but needed to hear. And so Never Fly Solo is is about understanding the power of pairing up, the power of being able to seek others who can lift you up through the trajectory of success. And also that it's our incumbent responsibility as successful people, as great Americans, as, as, as human beings on this crazy planet to give our wings away, to find the unsuspected person with a flame out engine or having a missile launch and say, you know what, part of my responsibility in life is to be their wingman or their wing ma'am, you know, uh, and, and to seek out others and, and always be willing to serve and lift and encourage and coach and sometimes kick some butt. Like I, I like having folks kick my ass a little bit to push me in the right direction uh, who see more potential in me. And so there's a lot of factors that we could continue to talk about being that wingman, a trusted partner. And it really isn't just about having a buddy. It's about having a confidant and somebody who kicks your butt and who cares enough about you to possibly piss you off to help you grow. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely a lot to unpack there. And uh, again, you know, to be a, a, a F-16 fighter pilot, having flown 65 combat missions. Yeah, it doesn't, that sort of environment doesn't really suffer fools very easily. And uh, you don't make it to that level without really having a determination, dedication, and a good team to work with. Now you had addressed, Waldo, you had addressed fear 
as being something that needs to be overcome. And I'm sure every time you got into the cockpit to go out and fly these combat missions, there was a certain level of fear. Honestly, if without it, you would you would probably not last very long. That fear kept you on edge and kept you uh, focused. How do you how do you deal with fear? And I know personally, having done a little bit of research on you, you've had two major fear-based issues, one being something to do with claustrophobia and the other one dealing with heights, which both of them seem very counter- intuitive to me for someone who's going to strap himself into, you know, a tight cockpit and then, you know, head up into the, into the outer atmosphere. It just seems a bit odd. So how do you handle these, these fearful challenges? Fear is, is a very human condition. Uh, if you don't have a little bit of fear of what you're doing, uh, I don't care if it's a sales call or being uh, a carpenter, working a new project, a new apprentice, right. Asking for a promotion, uh, getting up to bat. And so you look at fear as something that says, okay, there's something to be lost here. Most of the time that loss is ego, right? Embarrassment in front of your friends. Other times it's real authentic fear of, of dying, of being injured, of uh, uh, being in combat. You know, hey, people are trying to kill you. Your fear meter is going to be pegged. And so I'm going to kind of give a couple of of, of ways that I think we can overcome fear. And I, I talk about this in my coaching for leaders and teams and also in my keynotes. But one of the most important things you could do in, in fear is number one, to, to just make sure that you're prepared for your contingencies. You know, attitude is important. We'll talk about that for a second. But when I flew in, and I'm, I'm showing for those that are listening an F-16, you know, $30 million, $40 million, jet with all these weapon systems and complicated, uh, you know, controls and, and a lot of tactical knowledge and, and, and training that goes into flying that, you've got to be prepared. You know, wingmen never wing it. If you want to develop grit and trust in yourself, you got to put in the sweat equity, open the books, Get the coaching and training, get your ass in the cockpit and practice, right? If it's hitting a softball, delivering a sales call, learning new tools and techniques, estimating software, uh, whatever, whatever it is, uh, you've got to leverage your tools and technologies and get the coaching necessary so that you're confident in your skills and confidence builds trust, helps you deal with engine failures and missile launches. And, and all that. So put in the work. You can't philosophize your way out of executing a mission. And fear, more often than not, is people aren't prepared. You with me? Just like going down uh, scuba diving, right? And I'll share my story about how I almost died scuba diving. And it's because I wasn't prepared. And it developed. I wasn't afraid enough. <laughs> I didn't put in the time to prepare and it almost cost me my life. So Were you already in the military at that time, Waldo, when that it was three years into my 11 year flying career. And I'll share this in a minute. You know, I, I, I had that scuba diving incident and almost died. Um, so the other fear, the thing way to overcome fear is you've got to know what it is you're fighting for. You have to know what it is that at the end of the day, when you come back from that combat mission or take that leap of faith, make the sales call or, or ask for the promotion or, Whatever it is, you've got to know what it is that you're fighting for. And, and so 
I'll, I'll draw an analogy here. So I was afraid of, of heights really, really, really bad. And in order to graduate the Air Force Academy and become a pilot eventually, you had to jump off a 33 feet high diving board, 10 meters. Now, a big jumping Navy guy like you, Joe, may not seem like a big deal, but most people would panic, right? If you're afraid of heights, 33 feet, pretty freaking high. So I'm at the edge of that diving board freaking out. And I had to tap into my, my passion. What, what was it that I'm fighting for? My dream of being a pilot, graduating the academy, stepping out of my comfort zone. My future depended on jumping off that diving board. And you've got to know what's in that water. You've got to know what's on the opposite side of that fear. And tapping into your imperative, your objective, your compelling goal and keeping that front and center. I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to be a bodybuilder. I want to get married. I want to be the top producing salesperson. I want to run my own contracting company. Uh, Whatever that is, you better be in tune to that. And if not, you may not develop the courage to overcome that fear. So for example, I'm going to give a quick analogy. If you're on the edge of that diving board and you're, and let's say you're freaking out, you're not going to jump. But if you're a parent and your children are in the water screaming, mommy, daddy, help me. Uh, are you a parent, Joe? I am not. You're not. Okay. But I, ha- I have a feeling you have somebody that you love tremendously. In oh, your for life. sure. You know, if that person or dog or whatever is in that water, you're nine times, 99% of the time, you're going to likely jump because you love that person and Love trumps fear and love is service and action. So if you tap into what it is that you love, your, your, your children or whatever it is, you'll step out of your comfort zone and make that leap of faith. Let me give you another analogy in, in combat. So for me, when I was having that panic attack at 30,000 feet over Iraq, dealing with my fear, I'd look out my cockpit and realize that there was other folks flying with me who needed me to stay present, who needed me to take them to the forward edge of the battle area to help them roll in on the target. I led combat missions in Iraq, you know, so I had people dependent on me. Yes, I was crapping in my pants, afraid of having a panic attack and getting shot down. But as soon as I, as soon as I distracted myself from myself, and focused on who needed me, then I became courageous and in the zone and present in what I was doing. And when you're present helping people, when you're serving people, when you distract yourself from your ego and what you need and your cheesy ego-driven fears and focus on who you're serving, you'll find you can be present just like on this call, right? I'm, I'm, I've got to tap into helping you and your listeners, right? So I've got to go deep. And if I'm dis- if I'm distracted with how I'm looking on this camera, how I'm sounding on the thing, am I going to say the right thing? That's going to prevent me from being present. So, prepare, focus on your on what you love, be willing to help out, help out others, distract yourself from yourself, and then finally know that it's sometimes your responsibility to kick ass, to go out there and take some risks because others are depending on you. Focus on the why and not the what and the how. This is why I'm doing it. Have that clearly defined agenda. And for anyone who's listening, and my wife included, if she happens to listen to this episode, honey, if you were the one in the water, absolutely, I would be jumping (laughs) off that bridge to save you. So there you go. So, So you have 
You have addressed fear. And again, you had mentioned DJ Vanis, and uh, DJ was on the show a few episodes back, and he talked about you know Native American tradition and how they would face their fear head on, counting coup, touching your opponent, touching your enemy with a coup stick, showing that yeah, you know I'm fearful of you, but I am addressing my fear and I'm taking away your power from that, and and by right. being prepared and being ready for combat, and um, and that's how they addressed it. Now you found yourself three years in the military career. You were obviously physically fit. You were obviously mentally uh, on top of your game. You're flying F-16s, but you found yourself in a recreational scuba diving course somewhere, and you found yourself down around, again, 33 feet, and something went sideways, and that fear got hold of you, and it created panic underwater. And as someone who has taught recreational diving for over 30 years, I'll be honest with you, Waldo, I have seen that in people's faces and reactions before, and it, it can only be, uh, I can imagine, horrifying. Having grown up in the water, having been near drowned a number of times, I know what it's like myself, but how did you react and what did you learn from that experience and, and why did it affect you so greatly? So, yeah, you know, I, I never had an issue with claustrophobia. I was flying as an instructor pilot for three and a half years and then went to the Caribbean and went through a crash course, that 15 minutes in the pool, right? With that young kid who probably had something to drink the night before, wasn't really paying attention. So I didn't get really good training and I thought I could wing it, right? And I jumped into the water. He, he pushed me into the water, literally, you, you first, and then literally pushed my head down, Joe. Like every rule that you can make, literally pushed my head down. He could see I was a little bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so I entered the water, I'm already, my heart's racing. I'm trying, I'm, I'm not using proper technique, right? I'm using my arms instead of my legs. I'm not relaxed. I'm not just settled in. Right. And so I'm using improper technique, realizing that I wished I had a better mission briefing, right? Sure. Wishing I'd gone through a better training. And so boom, right then and there, not in my comfort zone, not trained, not confident in my skills. And the confidence in my skills started to bring up fear, anxiety, the lactic acid built up in my arms and body because I was using my hands and was so tired. Suddenly my body freezes. I can't move. I'm aching from head to toe with all the lactic acid. And then my mask uh, has a malfunction or inadvertently separates. And I inhale oh. a whole lung full of, of salt water, right? It's like yep. taking the regulator away and, and inhaling. So I'm choking into my regulator 35 feet under the water freaking out, wondering if I'm going to suck more water in. And then I begin to see stars as I start to hyperventilate. And I'm having the worst panic attack I'd ever had. I didn't know what one was up until that moment. Right. No combat mission could come close to that day. I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm freaking out. Absolutely the worst horrific experience of my life. I'm How like, did you get to the surface? So he brought me up. You know, I was only 35 feet or so down. So I slowly as slow as I could went down uh, went up you know and, and tried to you know pop my ears or whatever but it wasn't really that bad I, so I went back up they stayed in the water I could still see the guy swimming ahead of me <gasps> ahead of me and I'm trying to keep up with this guy and he's not he's not with me see the importance of a wingman there right that's a horrible experience for you. It, it was terrible. And, and you get it 100%, Joe. So I got out of the water. So long story short, a few days later, I'm back in the jet flying a training mission in terrible weather. Thunderstorms and lightning. Couldn't see the sun. Couldn't see the ground. I'm in what's called the mushroom soup, right? You can't see anything. And I start to have the same panic attack that I had a few days prior. 
for some reason, I'm, I start freaking out. I thought something was wrong with my oxygen as I became hypoxic. There wasn't anything wrong with the oxygen. There was obviously something wrong with me, my head. And I had the same panic attack, realized I had claustrophobia. I'm like, I got to get the heck out of this plane now. And so that was the worst experience of my life, flying another 45 minutes up on the north, uh, from, from Shreveport up to the northeast. And uh, for the next ele- uh, eight, of, eight of my 11 years of flying, I had to deal with this phobia, this fear and panic that threatened to paralyze my ability to do what I love more than anything else, which was to fly jets. But I had to face it and stay in the cockpit and, and uh, get back on the horse, so to speak. Yeah, get back on the horse, get back in the jet, choose to fly, face my fears, get used to it. This is what resilience is all about, folks. It's not quitting. It's not necessarily meditating or listening to music or finding ways to, to relax, et cetera. It's, it's, it's resilience is truly built when you're facing your fears and you're in the crucible, stinging, feeling the pain and sting of fear and getting the calluses on your hands and suffering through that. And so eight years, a couple thousand hours of flight hours, I learned to control that fear, to stay present, to focus on my team, to enjoy the journey. And um, I, had only, I only was able to do that by just constantly getting in that plane and really, really focusing on why I was doing what I was doing and, and really training myself. You know, I, I studied more about anxieties and phobias and um realized that it was a very 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 psychological thing that i could control and was um, this something you could turn I, I i understand you know in such an elite group of of individuals as you were in uh it would be something i i think that might be even career jeopardizing if you were to have reached out at that point to someone that may have said hey i, I don't think waldo has you know, has the comfortability in the, in the cockpit anymore. So you weren't actually able at this point to reach out to anyone else. And this is something you'd internalized to deal yeah, with. Yeah. It's a great question, Joe. And I appreciate you saying that this is extremely important listeners because I couldn't go to my buddies in the military and say, Hey guys, by the way, we're flying this mission together and I'm kind of freaking out here and I'm having this panic attack. And the reason why I, I didn't feel I needed to was that I was still able to perform. I was still able to teach. I was still able to do very well. I got a plaque on my wall, flight leader of the quarter, right? The number one pilot folks wanted to go to combat with. Instructor pilot of the year, number one of 308 instructor pilots in San Antonio, Texas at Randolph Air Force Base. Did they know I was going through my fears and had this stuff? No. Just like your customers, your coworkers, your family members, your, 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 your friends may not know your fears, as long as you're able to work through them and perform through them. That is the embodiment of execution and courage. This is important. You can have fear. You can shit in your pants before you go fly. But are you doing the job? Are you reliable? Are you dependable? Are you knowing when to quit when the fear gets so great that you can perform. And I had every responsibility, Joe, to tell my peers, my wingmen that, hey, I'm a safety factor. I should not be flying. I need to quit because I can't get the job done. And if that's the case, then you owe it to yourself and your team and your family not to put yourself in a jeopardizing situation. And this is how suicide happens. People feel they need to, quote unquote, fly every mission, do every deed, face every fear, and 
that's not the case. It shouldn't be. And there's a lot more to this because it's always about what you're fighting for. You know, if you're going to quit on your family members and your love and your children or whatever, then that maybe you, you, you know, it's, it's hard. Some people, that's when shame comes in, when you quit, when you know you shouldn't have and you had it in you to do it. So I, I would have had to have told, told those guys, Joe, but I was able to stick through it and became very good. I became better because of my fear because I was so aware and so prepared and so giving in my service that as soon as I went into myself, that's when the crap hit the fan and I'd be fearful. So hope, hopefully you're resonating with that. But here's the other thing, and it's in one of my chapters of my book, which I'm going to give everybody the audio book as a gift, is that when I was flying back on a training mission, ferrying F-16s from Saudi Arabia to Spain and then Spain to the U.S., I ferried these non-combat mission planes to Spain pretty easily. A lot of, a lot of land there. You had to fly over the Mediterranean. I was able to do that seven or eight hour mission. But guess what, Joe? And you know where I'm going with this. Coming from Spain to the U.S., there's something called the Atlantic. And I didn't get to sleep. I freaked out. I'm going to kill myself if I fly this plane. What am I doing? Why did I volunteer to fly? I'm, I was so courageous doing all these combat missions for seven hours. Why can't I just fly a training mission ferrying aircraft home? Being alone and by yourself, crossing the Atlantic, seven, eight hours in that cockpit by yourself. No distractions, no combat to distract me. Like combat was for me a distraction from my fear uh, of phosphobia. So long story short, folks, I quit. I, I turned myself in, so to speak. I, I aborted the mission uh, and I told my commander I couldn't fly because I didn't sleep the night before. I had a terrible headache. I would have been a safety fact. I didn't say I had claustrophobia, but the fact was my fears uh, overdid my passions and, and I had to quit with honor because it would have been a, a safety factor for myself and my team. Um, if it was combat, people needed me. My job and responsibility was to stay in that plane. You're darn tootin' right. I wouldn't have quit, which is how I got through all those others. So there's a time to quit with honor there's a time to fly with honor and do your job. Uh, hope people are resonating with that, but yeah, don't be afraid yeah. to quit. For sure. The, uh, it sounds like the ends justified the means in so many of those combat missions and the value that you could achieve from, from focusing in and overcoming your fears were uh, pulled you through, but something as, uh, say, benign as flying across the Atlantic, just that the value just wasn't there. And at, at a certain point, you decided that was enough. And um, for me... Shifting gears just a little bit and addressing fears that I know you are, are a master at addressing this fear of public speaking. So many people out there are just fearful of, of getting up in front of a group and speaking. And yeah. I have it's something that I've been working on for years now to try to perfect my style. But having watched your videos and having talked to people and heard testimonials of your um, keynote speeches, you have just done a fantastic job of overcoming that fear and how where did keynote speaking come from how did you become such a master uh relayer of information and I, I hate to say it but a motivational speaker these people the testimonials i've seen people just come out of there and they're they're buzzed by what what waldo waldman has to say thank you i, I appreciate that and, and and you know it's 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 an evolution right I, I i do pretty well now you know i command a good fee i was just in dubai speaking for around 500 global audience sales channel marketing people from 
from all over Asia and Europe and, and, uh, you know, Australia. And so I was a little afraid on that one, but it goes back once again, knowing your audience, being prepared, knowing you're opening and you're closing tight. Cause when you take the stage, you look out at the people, you're like, Oh crap, you know, I got to do this. I better know my opening and really what I'm going to say out of my mouth very, very clearly. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot about training. You've got to work your way through the evolution of being confident and present on a platform. My wife is panicked in front of people. She's really great one-on-one, but she just like most of us are afraid of public speaking. So a couple things. Number one, obviously prepared, know your openings, know your audience and, and rehearse your speech as much as you can. But then also I, I like to tell people, you know, just talk to one person in the crowd. Look at that person, focus on that one, the man or woman with a smile on their face. Maybe you spoke to them beforehand, find out where they're sitting and then lock eyes with that human who has a heart and a soul and who's cheering for you and just have that conversation with them rather than being overwhelmed with the the hundred or 500 or a couple thousand people in that audience, right? Have a conversation, focus on one. Also, uh, realize that uh, if you focus on the outcome and you're not present and you're worrying about how people are going to view you, if you're saying the right thing, if you're not eloquent, or if you're not, you know, sharing the exact thing that you practiced, right? If you're worried about the outcome more than just being present, you will also be fearful. You have to divorce yourself from the outcome, from whether or not they like you, from whether or not you get a standing ovation and just stay present. And this is why I think I'm pretty good at this. And even when I'm able to be present with a guy like you, Joe, and, I, and you're a great interviewer. I know I'm yapping a little bit too much here because you've got me rolling on these, uh, on these uh, rabbit holes of content. But as long as I'm myself, as long as I don't care what you think of me, if I truly want you to grow and love you enough to truly speak from my heart, which is prepared and I'm authentic and it's who I am. You can't BS an audience anymore. You kind of used to in some ways. People through social media and all that, they, they sense somebody's inauthenticity and they will forgive your stutter, your pause, your, your pacing back and forth. They'll forgive some of that. If they know you're speaking authentically of who you are, not something that you read, not somebody that you're trying to be, not because you want to be a speaker like Tony Robbins or have the stage, stage skills of me or anyone else, just be who you are, take some risks, cut a vein and be you. And if you could be you, maybe 90% of the audience may not like it, maybe, but you want to go for that five or 10 percent. He said, I love this person, Joe. He was a buffoon on stage. He didn't really have eloquence. His, his stories were a little disjointed, but I get it. I get the message. And this person wanted what's best for me. And you'll slowly build your uh, your fan base of people who love you for who you are and in all your heart and preparation and content that you have, not because you didn't have a perfect opening 
and weren't able to tell an eloquent story and not pace on stage, you know? Yeah, uh, authenticity definitely goes a long way. And you have a lot of passion that you bring, I can see, on those uh, videos that I've watched of you at your uh, keynote speeches. And um, I think you had mentioned uh, earlier on in that about reaching out to one person. And I think that, you know, to distill it all back down, reaching out to that one person, making a difference in one person's life is sort of the heart and soul of your book, Never Fly Solo. As a wingman, uh, on the ladder of life, you not only have one hand reaching up to look for help and guidance and and uh, to to learn from someone else, but you should also have a hand down, which is helping to lift someone up behind you. And making those connections can be rather difficult. In the carpenters union and a lot of trades with apprenticeships, we look at finding a mentor in the field, someone you can learn to craft from. Uh, In life, I had a good mentor. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago, a great friend of mine um, who I met through scuba diving, coincidentally, teaching him how to scuba dive. But finding that wingman, building that trust, building that accountability, identifying as in, in your terms of vernacular, our terms of vernacular, identifying your blind spots, checking your six. How do you find these people in your life? How do you cultivate those relationships? So uh, I appreciate you knowing, to reminding me of my quote, you know, keep your hand up on the ladder of life and your hand down. Um, it, it's you know, if you want to find a wingman, a trusted partner, somebody that you can go to for help, then be that wingman, a wingman. Be that resource, that that comrade of courage that lifts others up, that's always there to help others out, that's volunteering, that's showing up, uh, going uh, above and beyond, uh, nurturing those relationships that are simply a byproduct of of authentic caring and helping of others accomplish their goals, right? Um and so, so really focus on that. You know, I, I, I know some people are thinking, you know, I don't really have that many wingmen. Hey, just show up. You don't have to be Mr. or Mrs. Charisma. You don't have to have a, an MBA and be a multimillionaire, uh, you know, an actor, somebody with celebrity panache and all that baloney. If you just show up saying, how can I help and find a way to give your wings away? You, you'll just nurture relationships and have others, God forbid, that when you need them, you'll be able to have a, a Rolodex of people for help. Um, you know, Elizabeth Dole, when she ran the Red Cross, said, I, I didn't wait for the rivers to flood before I built relationships. Right. And relationships, like I said to me, is just is just nurturing, nur- helping out folks, and 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 really caring and giving your wings away. And I, I also think it's a responsibility, like I said, to have your hand up, seek out those mentors who are a l- rung or two above you, and and kindly and compassionately and respectfully ask them for a little bit of help. Don't be bashful in this. You know, people in generally want to help, especially senior leaders. They got there for a reason. And so you really need to seek those out and be intentional and then find a way to help them out. Just because they're a, a senior leader or a business owner or somebody you want to uh, emulate doesn't mean that you don't have some value and experience that can help them. Absolutely. You know, health and fitness or, you know, relationship skills or whatever, you know, and, and many people get joy out of helping somebody when they, they see you respecting him or her by taking the action of their guidance and their mentorship. When you take the action and you inform them of the blessings that you have, I'm going to a funeral, uh, tomorrow for a man named Gene Greisman. He played, uh, Abraham Lincoln as a speaker, a wonderful human being. Uh, and I started in the profession. 
I seeked out these mentors and they were a lot older than me, him and Ken Futch and these others. And I, I took them to lunch and they were gracious with their time and feedback, beautiful human beings. And I, you know, fortunately I was able to crush it in the industry. They kind of stayed and moved up a little bit, but I catapulted myself above them. But I've always let them know how grateful I was for them. I've given them coaching. They don't buy lunch when they're with me. So I'm going to honor my friend, Gene Greisman, a human, a wonderful human being for being that wingman for me and coaching me up. And then, like I said, finally, hey, know that you've got to keep that hand down and lift others up on that ladder of life and seek out others you can help. Um, be intentional about it. And uh, you never know who, uh, who, what kind of impact you can make on these people who may be dealing with some challenges or engine failures. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Waldo, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, really appreciate it. Where can people go to find out more about you and your organization and your message? So number one, Google Waldo Waldman. Uh, that's a quick way to do it. I'm all over social media. LinkedIn is a great place to connect with me. If you do connect with me there, make sure you, you fa- tell, tell me that you found me on Grit Nation. Uh, Waldo Waldman, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera. And then my website is yourwingman.com, www.yourwingman.com. And I'm going to put my uh, website up there, but although you can't see it, if you go to, if you go to yourwingman.com forward slash NFS, like never fly solo, I'll give you all a free audio book. It's 20 bucks on Audible. Uh, but for, uh, for being a listener of Joe's podcast, you'll all get a download to that audio book, Never Fly. So when you do get it, I'd love to know that you got it from, from this podcast. But share it with your kids, share it with your loved ones. Uh, the, the ultimate, you know, attribute that you can, you know, the ultimate, ultimate metric on, on growth is when you take the action from these podcasts and shift the way you're doing things to a, a more productive, uh, positive way in your life. So those are quick ways to, to track me down. Yeah, well, thank you so much for that. I'll make sure to add that to the show notes for anyone who's listening a free copy of um, Lieutenant Colonel Waldo Waldman's uh, book, Never Fly Solo, audio version. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much for taking your time to be on the show today, Waldo. This has been a real pleasure. You got it, Joe. It's been an honor getting to know you, and I look forward to continuing our relationship as well. My guest today has been Waldo Waldman, author of the New York Times bestselling book, Never Fly Solo. To find out more about Waldo and his work, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode or visit the Grit Nation website at gritnationpodcast.com. As always, thanks for your continued support. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend, family member, or anyone else you think may get something out of it. Until next time, this is Joe Cadwell thanking you for wanting to know more today than you did yesterday. Hey, before we go, last, last question. Have you ever been back in the water again? I did. Thank you for asking. I did. It was in the Great Barrier Reef. I was in Korea and I went down to Australia. So long story short, went in. I told the guys, I said, listen, I'm afraid of death. I'm scared of this. I don't want to do it. I'm, I'm you know, help me. My favorite student. <laughs> yep. And so and they put me in a cage. They lowered me down. You okay? You okay? In a cage? You were out what, great white diving or what? No, exactly. But they had a cage there. So we just lowered ourselves down. They probably did some of that as well. Uh, they lowered me down and we went off. I, I have a video of it too. And they uh, made it a great experience. I, that was the second time I'd done it. I haven't done it again. I would go again. I, I would. Well, if you if you ever want a, a real lesson and, and we, we can work it out, man. I've been teaching for over 30 years. You know, I've always prided myself. I, my mom, 
early on in my dive, dive instructor career told me about a horrible experience like you suffered and where she almost died. And it, and it just drove home the fact that, Hey man, I'm here for more than just chasing bikinis around and just making, you know, fun in the sun. This is people's lives. This is an introduction to a, a completely foreign environment to them that can be very unforgiving. And I want to make this the best possible experience. You know, I'm, I'm going to do the best I can to make sure you have a pleasant introduction. And so I've never done done that just grab and go that's horrible i've seen other instructors do that and it's it, you'll turn people off to the sport and uh and, and like i say i've i've had so many people that come to me or have come to me in the years past trying to overcome a fear or a phobia of a near drowning experience and they're the toughest students man it's tough but once you can get over that fear and phobia and you can introduce them to the beauty and wonder of the underwater world it's 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 a magical place 